dawn of a new era. Cardinals training camp coverage presented by Bud Light. This is the dawn of a new era. Mitch and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday on the Arizona Sports app and 98.7. And we're live out at Cardinals camp, State Farm Stadium for the red-white scrimmage today. The first kind of game action that we're going to see the Arizona Cardinals. Lots of things we're looking forward to seeing. Uh, that starts at 12.45, by the way, open to the public. A lot of people still uh, shuffling in here early as the first row is almost full at this point. They're ready to so, go. If you're looking for a really great seat to watch the Arizona Cardinals today, head on down to State Farm Stadium, where we are at right now. We'll take you up to 1 o'clock, but we got coverage well beyond 1 o'clock as well. Um, man, oh man. I'm actually excited to watch a lot of quarterback action. There's some position changes that I'm really intrigued by. Zayvon Collins is now a pass rusher, apparently. Yeah. That's something I'm intrigued by. He apparently changed his... his Well, he like put on a few pounds... And I don't he mean, would have to. I, I don't think. mean like fat pounds. I no, mean no, no, muscle no. pounds. Of course. He put on some weight in order to better himself for the position of edge rusher. But Zayvon's intriguing because of his... Versatility, I guess, as a linebacker. Being in the mic last year, I think, is actually going to benefit him a lot more as an edge rusher than most people would think. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting. So we haven't seen a lot of position changes with the Cardinals over the years, but the one most notable is a similar story, right? And Hassan Reddick, first-round pick. They played him at middle linebacker, which right. he did. at uh, It was Temple, right? I think he came from Temple. That's a Temple, yeah. And so... It wasn't far-fetched for him to play middle linebacker, but his natural position was as a pass rusher. Oh, clearly. And, yeah, and they moved him there, and he was fantastic. One of the best in the league. He leaves in a free agency deal. He ends up on a, on a really great Eagles team. So, listen, this could work out wonders for the Arizona Cardinals. And they certainly had the inside linebacker depth, something else that we're going to talk about here in a little bit. But you go get Kaiser White in free agency, and I think a lot of us wondered... Why do they do that? Why do they need an inside linebacker when they drafted two of them back-to-back? Well, it appears that Isaiah Simmons is going to be playing as a defensive back. So like Zayvon Collins, yeah. he's moving off the position as well. From what I've read and from what I've heard from other Cardinals camp practices, it looks like they're going to roll out. Isaiah Simmons is kind of the center fielder, so to speak, to use a baseball term here on the football field, <laughs> and then use Buda Baker more in the box, a place that he's certainly comfortable in. And then Jalen Thompson, great safety in his own right, could play in the slot against wide receivers. Well, so Gambo has brought up the comp several times in the past couple of weeks of what this could lead to for Isaiah. Name Cam Chancellor ring a bell. Yeah, pretty good so, safety. Cam Chancellor was not your typical build for a safety. I think he was like what six three and a good, good chunk over two hundred pounds. He's a large human being. Isaiah Simmons kind of fits that same mold, does he not? Yeah, he could be. And I wonder if Isaiah kind of wants to mimic what has been, you know, the role of Cam Thomas for the most part. I'm getting word. Cam Chancellor. Uh, if you could, if, yeah, Cam Thomas, Cam Chancellor. I'm getting word uh, from downstairs that Kyle Soley is set to join us. We couldn't tell we were stalling, but we're very excited. Uh, Trev, I hope he's ready back there. Uh, we're very excited to be joined by the rookie linebacker for the Cardinals, Kyle Soley, and of course ASU alum, Sawaro alum. Uh, Kyle, can you hear us from down there? Well, for Kyle, um, sounds like Kyle might still be getting set up downstairs. We're still, we're still working on it, of course, uh, but we will. Hopefully be connected with him shortly. Uh, but getting back to uh, Isaiah Simmons with Cam Chancellor, the comparison, I wonder if 
that's essentially what Isaiah Simmons becomes, and I wonder if that becomes a very success for him. And it sounds like we've got Kyle now. Kyle, can you hear us from down there? Yes, what's going on? How are we doing today, good sir? I'm Mitch, doing and you're great. here with Steve as well. Thanks so much for taking some time before the red and white practice today. Yeah, absolutely. No, I appreciate you guys having me on the show. So what have you taken away so far in your first NFL training camp? Just one big thing or many little things? One big thing? Um... I don't know. It's kind of a combination of a bunch of little things, but, uh, you know, it's definitely a different game. Um, a lot more mental, um, you know, but at the end of the day, it's still playing football, and, you know, you just got to enjoy having fun with it every day. So, Kyle, something about the Arizona Cardinals that I think they've done very well in the past is they bring in a lot of local guys, a lot of local talent. We've seen Eno Benjamin in the past, an ASU running back. Uh, we've seen a lot of Saguaro guys like yourself, you know, DJ Foster, Christian Kirk, Byron Murphy. Um, we've seen other local guys from other universities in the state get opportunities with the Cardinals. Why do you think that pipeline has existed with the Cardinals, and do they do a good job of that in your eyes? Yeah, I don't know why the pipeline really exists, but you know, I do think they do a great job in you know picking picking homegrown talent, um, people that you know know how to play football at a high level, and I'm just hoping to follow in those footsteps and you know just know my role and uh, you know eventually make my way into a spot on this team. How exciting is it to be to get this opportunity with your hometown team? Very excited. And I've said before, you know, this is a dream come true for a hometown kid, you know, who want want to play for their uh, hometown team. Um, you know, I was a Cardinals fan growing up, so this is a this is a dream come true and a great opportunity. Did you go to a lot of Cardinals games? I didn't go to too many Cardinals games, to be honest. Um, I think just the drive for the family was the biggest thing for me, you know, growing up down in Scottsdale. But um, I was at a lot of Arizona State, but you best believe I was watching them on Sundays. Uh, tell me about draft day, draft weekend, of course, getting undrafted by your hometown team. But I have to imagine for you, you were at least conscious of the idea that there's a possibility that could go day two, day three. But then when it didn't happen, but after you got that call, what was that experience like for you? Yeah, you know, that uh, those three days were just, you know, you, you never know, really know what's going to happen. Um, it's out of your control. I was just confident that I put in all the work that I can possibly do, and the rest was in God's hands. And, you know, this was the opportunity that came up, and I'm thankful for it. And just trying to stack every day um, and enjoy the process and just have fun with it, really. Kyle, you're an inside linebacker. It's a position that the Cardinals have addressed in the first round of the draft a couple of different times. But now with the new front office and some position changes, Zayvon Collins moves to pass rusher, uh, Isaiah Simmons moving to safety, it appears. There seems to be a need for inside linebackers. Is that going to help you in your pursuit of a roster spot? I mean, when you say it like that, I, I would think it would help me. Um, honestly, I'm just you know trying to have an open mind with everything and, like I said, make my way onto this team any way I can and just my role and just be a help help the team win in any way that I can um, whether it be special teams defense whatever it is you know I'm, I'm there to help I want to ask you about your uh, final and Kyle Soli rookie linebacker for the Cardinals joining us here on Arizona Sports Saturday I want to ask you about your final season at ASU and how important it was for you to not only go back for that fifth season but to make the impact that you did as a third year captain yeah you know unfortunately it didn't end the way that you know we would have wanted to but um, I had a blast out there with my brothers, you know, and, and uh, you know, the Sun Devil brothers. They're grinding down there right now in their fall camp, and, uh, you know, it was a great experience. Um, unfortunately, didn't leave the way I, I would like to, um, but it, it was still a great experience. I'm looking forward to the future for, you know, Arizona State football. Speaking of Arizona State football, it looks like ASU is going to be heading to the Big 12. As a three-year captain in the Pac-12 with that team, how do you feel about that? 
Yeah, it's going to be interesting. You know, see a new conference logo on the jersey, but um, I have confidence that you know the administration and the leaders over at Arizona State are going to make the right uh, decision for the future of the program. And uh, you know, I'm excited to see what that holds. Um, honestly, NCAA and just you know athletics in general in that space is just you know, who knows what's going to happen tomorrow, right? Uh, so it's going to be interesting to watch from the outside. Hey, Kyle, we know you got to run and get ready for today's practice, but thanks so much for carving out a few minutes for us. We really appreciate it, all right? Absolutely. I appreciate you guys. Thank thanks, you. Thanks, Kyle. No problem. Kyle Soleil, who's a rookie linebacker with the Cardinals, hoping to make a roster spot. It'd be really cool to see him get a roster spot with his hometown team. Steve. Yeah, and, you know, I was trying to make get the point across, you know, with so many players moving off the position, I know that they addressed middle linebacker in free agency, but I think that there's a real opportunity for a guy like Kyle, who comes in with a ton of experience. It's not easy to be a three-year captain. Captain, by the way, in college because you only get four years, and most guys don't become captains their freshman or sophomore year. So it really right. speaks volumes of Kyle. He's got loads and loads of tackles and solo tackles. So I think that there's a real need. Uh, and he mentioned making plays on special teams as well. We've seen guys make the team as inside linebackers before who make an impact in that way. I mean, Zeke Turner's done that for them in the past. Uh, Scooby Wright played a role coming Scooby. out of UVA. Wow. But those are the kind of players we fall in love with who make the impact not just as their primary position but as key contributors on special teams kyle might be one of those guys and kyle's by no means he's a rookie but by no means is he a young rookie he's coming in at 24 years old with an opportunity to make a roster that there there there's already so many questions about this roster outside of the inside linebacker position and not even mentioning the fact that he could be a valuable player on special teams. Right. Maybe as a blocker or, heck, he even had a couple of returns when he was at ASU. There could, there's a lot. I don't know if they're going to do that. I, yeah, <laughs> I was just throwing out a funny. So That could the, be fun for him. Though. The likelihood of Soleil making this team feels like a 75% chance opportunity. In a sense. It is interesting, though, too. We were talking with him about being a guy from Saguaro High School, from uh, going to ASU. For whatever reason, and I don't know, maybe it's just maybe it's just an optics thing from my perspective, but the Cardinals seem to be one of those teams that do bring in a lot of local talent with kind of the bottom of the, the bubble of the roster, so to speak. Maybe yeah. they're not going to make the roster. Maybe they're not going to be the most impactful guy. But, you know, like Christian Kirk was a high draft pick, so I get it. Byron Murphy was a high draft pick. I get it. DJ Foster played a key role. He was a huge success at ASU. He played a role on this offense as a running back for a while. I remember back in the day they brought in U of A wide receiver Dan Buckner. I mean, like it's it feels like the Cardinals of all teams do a really good job of adding guys who are local talents. I don't know if that even plays a role or if maybe they're just able to see them more often because they don't have to go too far to watch his games. I was going to say, you don't have to go very far to scout right. per se. You know, when He's you already wa- in town. When you watch him <laughs> at high school, and then you get to watch him at college, you get to see their development. And I know Saguaro has been a big factor in trying to develop guys and lead them up that ASU to the Cardinals pipeline. just works out that way. And it's, uh, it's good to see, and I'm rooting for Kyle. And First non-skill position guy out of that Saguaro group. I mean, there yeah. might be other guys who have made the Cardinals in the past from Saguaro, but uh, it's interesting. Well, He's- he does have skills at his position. Oh, oh! But, don't get me wrong. I, I knew what you meant. I yeah, no, but it's interesting to talk with Kyle. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what he's got in practice today. So at the end, we asked them about the big news from yesterday that is carrying into today that is going to rock the college sports world in 2024. ASU on their way to the Big 12. Why? We'll talk about that next on Arizona Sports Saturday. 
Rich and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. There are a lot of forces that work in the overlords of the media empires that are out there that are driving a lot of this. And so the Colorado departure was really an indication of the fact that there was great instability in the media market and it created an unstable moment. Yes. Michael Crow talking at ASU football practice this morning about kind of the inevitable ASU jump ship from the Pac-12, which I guess is kind of now the Pac-4, if you want to think of it that way. And ASU reluctantly, it seems, heading to the Big 12, uh, along with U of A, along with Colorado, who made their announcement just a couple of weeks ago, along with Utah as well. The reluctancy, if we could talk about that for a moment. Because I mean, ASU, you can hear it in his voice yeah, how reluctant he was. ASU was not looking to jump ship from the Pac-12 and go to the Big 12. That is not what happened here. No. Michael Crow made it very clear that he was all for the Apple Plus streaming media rights deal that was presented to them. He thinks it's a revolutionary look at what college football and college athletics should be doing for the future. I think he loved that deal. For a school that's been recognized for innovation for as many times as it has been, however you quantify innovation, it seems like Michael Crow was taking an approach that seemed like one that leans towards the future of broadcasting, but also maybe it's not effective in the now when your conference is already in the position that it was in. Well, and he made that clear, too, that he he said many times, at some point, the conference became unviable, Yeah, meaning we've only got four schools left. It's not going to be ASU plus Stanford, Cal, Washington State and Oregon State, that's not a conference. No. That's a division at best and not a very good one in most sports. Um, but you get to the point where the Big Ten came along and poached what I think are four of the bigger programs in USC, UCLA in the past, and now they're getting Oregon and Washington. The Big Ten did a great job of poaching what I think are four of the best schools in the conference. Then the Big Ten react, or the Big 12, excuse me. First of all, we need to rename all these conferences because I'm getting confused. Yeah, can we get can we get the numbers right on all these, please? The, that would be great. The Big Twelve comes along and does something sort of reactionary because they're losing their two biggest programs, Texas right. and Oklahoma, to the SEC next year when all of this goes down officially. And so I think what ASU did is they realized we have to go with U of A. If we're going to ruin tradition with all these different schools, let's not ruin that one. Let's stick let's, with our rival. Keep Let's go them. to the same place. So Robert Robbins, the president over at U of A, Michael Crow at ASU, they were in lockstep. He said they spoke over the phone over a hundred times in the last couple of days. And I believe that because they were making decisions that you can't just easily undo. And so ASU, U of A, those other schools we mentioned go to the Big 12. I'm not super excited about it from a football standpoint. That conference is losing its best assets in Oklahoma and Texas. Well, I don't know. They're gaining two of the CFP finalists from this past season. TCU, which was already inherited in the Big 12. Right. And then now they're getting Cincinnati, too, who had a fantastic season. Was it last year or two years ago where they went undefeated and was a top 14? So it's not like they're getting worse. I understand losing Oklahoma, but... Oklahoma lost Lincoln Riley. I think I think they like, got worse. Half of their team. So I don't know what the SEC is necessarily getting other than pedigree. I think they got worse. And here's part of the reason why too, because a lot of this is driven by money. Almost all of it's driven by money. No, no, no. But 
it is all driven by money. And let's, the money let's comes, not sugarcoat it. The money comes from where? It comes from eyeballs. It comes from people, butts and seats, like you and I are here at State Farm Stadium. They make money off of the people that are in the seats. Yes. They make money off of you and me at home, sitting on our couch like a bunch of lazy bums, watching the game on TV. They make money off of you and I right now, sitting here, talking about exactly what is happening. TCU may be a better football program right now than the University of Texas. Which one has more fans watching? Probably Texas. It's not even close. Texas. Which one has more? Uh, U of A or Texas? Probably Texas. Utah or Texas? Oh, don't count out the Mormons. <laughs> well, the Mormons are watching BYU, who are already, who are <laughs> already in, in that 12. conference. No, I'll grant you that. That's a huge following, but not the one that I mentioned. Oh, my goodness. ASU has a large media market as one of the top five, six cities in, the, in America. I think that we just passed Philadelphia. So... That carries some value as a media asset. But don't discount the fact that Oklahoma is one of the best programs in the country, football and basketball. Texas, while not as successful on the court or on the field lately, they do carry a ton of weight. I think the Big 12 got worse over the last year of realignment than they did got better. I get it. But at the same time, sometimes conference viability is reliant on quantity. And not necessarily the quality. And you've brought it up a couple of times today. We're in agreement that the Big 12, if nothing else, is going to have one hell of a basketball season in 2024-25. Yeah, maybe the football stinks, or maybe the football is not up to the quality level of the Big 10 or the SEC. But you know what it's going to be better than? Whatever's left of the Pac-12 and whatever the heck is going on in the ACC, where you've got Florida State threatening to leave because they're not getting enough money... And then apparently they're embezzling funds or something, if I read that correctly in the stories this morning. Florida State's its own mess. But at what point does Clemson look around and say, well, ACC is starting to become less and less viable. Let's jump to a more realistic and better future for us in the SEC and compete at the high level with some of the teams that we've wanted to beat year in and year out. The Big 12 is in a better spot than the Pac-12. And I think at the end of the day, that's all that matters, is for ASU's sake, the Big 12 is in a better spot than the Pac-12. I can't help but think about what comes next. What's the next big domino to fall? Because it feels like it's kind of over, right? Like, because, I mean, especially with seasons about to get underway, football season in particular. I'd be shocked if the Pac-12 announces anything before week one. And I get that. And I get that. But what else needs to happen? I think the next big domino to fall is the SEC not needing anything additional, by the way. They don't need nothing. They don't need anything. (laughs) But I think the SEC will likely look at the ACC and treat them the way the Big Ten treated the Pac-12. We're going to take your top four programs. Let's take Miami. Let's take FSU. Let's take Clemson, certainly, and throw in North Carolina. And we're going to add them to the SEC. I could totally see that happening. And now the ACC is looking at a situation where they're floundering the way the Pac-12 just did. And some of those schools that aren't quite that upper echelon in the ACC, I don't know, I'm going to name a few, Virginia, uh, Virginia Tech, some of those are looking at, okay, what are our options? Can we somehow join up with those Western Conference, uh, Western Region schools and form some cross-country thing that we got going on? It's exactly what I thought was going to happen. Big conferences with big-time programs are investing in those big ones and drawing in as many of the other big ones as they can, leaving the smaller programs out to dry and figure out their own situation. But you know what else it could lead to? And I was chatting with my dad about this yesterday. 
What happens if a few years from now, when these TV contracts run out, the conferences decide, all right, 18 teams is a little too much, and they start to trim the fat around the uh, money sinkers, per se. Like, what if the Big 12, years from now, when their meteorites deal runs out in 2030, so what is that, six years from now? When that meteorites deal runs out, are they going to be looking at the way things have gone and cut off the revenue-sinking schools so that they can get back down to like a more the, viable conference? The UCFs, the Rutgers in the Big Ten. Yeah, like they just brought them in, but is there any reason as to why they would cut them loose once they get to a point of you know increased stability? Well, it's it's dependent on how. what is that nice balance of teams. The Big Ten right now, it, it looks like, or at least will be estimated to have around 20 teams. <laughs> So you're going to have two 10-team divisions. Is that how it's going to work out? Uh, the Big 12, as it is now being constructed, 16, will ASU right? and U of A, will they be in some Western division of the Big 12? Right. By the way, we haven't even talked about travel yet. Uh, your closest ho- uh, road game that you'd be playing in this iteration of the Big 12 is U of A, obviously, in Tucson. Sure. After that, what is it? I mean, it's still probably Utah is the closest, but then okay, what? So, Texas right. Tech? Let's think about it realistically. Let's rule out the obvious ones of U of A, Utah, and Colorado, because you were already traveling to those schools. Sure. To your point about travel, the furthest you would have to go is UCF, which is probably the one that drains you the most. Four and a half if you're hour a student. Flight. Exactly. And your three time zones, sometimes two time zones, sometimes different uh, temperate uh, parts of the world, like... You get way more humidity, of course, in the southeast coast. You lose a full day traveling. It's going to sink you. Any time that UCF has a home game against these road west teams, it's almost going to be an unfair advantage. And then at the same time, you have to figure out, okay, how are we going to combat this when we have to travel four hours through multiple time zones, lose all of this sleep and all of this preparation time? No. It's, it's going to sink them. We're talking a lot about the extreme ones geographically, right? The UCF in Orlando, West Virginia is certainly, I think they're probably the furthest school, uh, if I had to guess, from ASU. Cincinnati certainly nowhere close. Iowa State is pretty far as well. I think what they're going to do is break these into two different divisions. I think there will be a Western division where ASU and U of A will be the furthest west. They will still play Utah. They will still play Colorado every year for the most part. And then they'll probably get some of the West Texas schools. Uh, Texas Tech in Lubbock makes sense to me. TCU and Baylor are both intriguing football programs as well that I would be interested in seeing ASU play. I think you're going to see that Cincinnati, West Virginia, UCF, maybe even Houston and Iowa State fall into that Eastern Conference. So it won't affect travel too much. But you're right. They're going to have to occasionally make trips all the way across country for in-conference games. It's already messy to think about. And look, as, as excited as we want to be that ASU and U of A are going to survive, I am devastated for the Pac-12. To put it short, I'm devastated for the loss of this conference. Coming up next, you know what else I'm devastated by in terms of losses? The Diamondbacks. Did you see how they lost last night? We'll recap you next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch Ferreldis, Steve Zinsmeister, Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. And we're live out at Cardinals training camp, State Farm Stadium for the red-white practice. Basically a scrimmage, so the first game action that we're going to get for some of these Arizona Cardinals. Fans are already filing into the seats. That starts here in about 15 minutes, 1245. If you can get down to the stadium, you might want to do so. It's your first 
really good look at the Arizona Cardinals, some of your favorite players. Uh, players warming up on the field right now. They're shooting T-shirts out into the crowd, so it is football finally back in the Valley. We're going to catch like the last little bit of practice here when we have uh, Tyler Drake and Eric Ruby on with us next, and then they're going to get to watch essentially a good chunk of this practice. So don't... If you're listening as you're driving in or if you're just listening right now and you want to hear how the practice is going, don't go anywhere because we've had you covered on the Cardinals until 2 p.m. today. Yeah, a lot of new elements to this team as well. You're going to see some quarterbacks that you might not have seen much of before. You're going to see some players in different positions than you've seen before, like Zayvon Collins, Isaiah Simmons playing some different roles. You're going to see a lot of new different players you haven't seen in previous seasons because there is a new regime here, Yeah, and boy, can you feel it. Um Let's talk Diamondbacks for a second. Uh, the Diamondbacks are five and fifteen since the All Star break. Can you say that again? Five and fifteen since the All Star. How break. many wins? Five. I. Not a lot. Can that be emphasized enough? Five. I don't know if it can be. Listen. Five wins since July fourteenth, and it is August fifth. They're zero for their last four. They haven't strung together a winning streak since. July 18th, they beat the Braves two days in a row, one of the best teams in baseball. Uh, that Ow. was bizarre. Remember that 16-13 to 13 game? That was the last time that they had a winning streak. <laughs> it's that's, been a while. That's ridiculous. Um, but, man, listen, the, the, this team made four trades at the All-Star break, a team that decided to go and make additions, despite the fact that they had been slipping for maybe the better part of a month at that point. This is a team that at one point was in first place, over the Dodgers, over the Padres, who have been all in this year, over the Giants, who at times have looked pretty good and better than the Diamondbacks as of late. Uh, they made those four moves, and, and none of them have paid major dividends. Paul Sewald hasn't even been in game action yet. He hasn't pitched. hasn't pitched once. you gotta, you got to do this thing where it's uh, you have a uh, three-run or less lead going into a ninth inning in order for your closer to come out and pitch. And if you couldn't tell, the Diamondbacks haven't had that in the four games that they've had Paul Sewald. I gotta so be honest cool. with you. At some point, even like like let's say today, even if they don't have a lead, I might pitch the guy for an inning, just to make sure he doesn't go completely cold. You can't let him go cold. That's the thing is, if he hasn't pitched in a number of days and he's used to some action, even if you don't have a lead, I might pitch Paul Seawald tonight. You uh, need him to be your most valuable reliever, and he can't do that if he doesn't pitch. It doesn't matter what the score is at this point. Even if you're if they go into a game tomorrow and it's the eighth inning and they're tied and they don't have the confidence that they're going to take the lead in the ninth, you might as well pitch Seawald and then regret it later if you take the lead and then blow it because somebody else comes in and screws up. But you can't just throw him in there and expect him to be perfect in his first outing because the likelihood of that happening is slim to none. Well, and you and I got so accustomed to pinning a lot of that on the starting rotation, on bad starts. You know, obviously they had the start to the year that they did with Madison Bumgarner. They cut ties with him fairly quickly. It was a pretty quick hook. Right. Uh, they relied on 60% of their starting rotation being rookies. They've since called up Slade Ciccone, who's made his debut now. They're relying a lot on those young starters. But I'm here to tell you that it's time to point the finger the other direction because they got some really good starts over the last couple of days from some of those guys. Brandon fought for all the struggles he had in his first two or three times called up. His last start was his best. A two-hitter. One run. Seven innings. I that usually up, equates to a win, by the way. I looked up at the TV, and they were in the seventh inning, and Brandon Fott was still on the mound, and I thought that the people on the TV broadcast just got it wrong. I was like, this can't be the seventh inning. <laughs> I was like, this has got to be like the third inning, fourth inning at best. Uh, uh, he was phenomenal in that start. And you know what's great about that, too, is 
you know, I tried my best not to lose faith in the young guys, despite what was going on and what, what the, the outings they were putting together, as bad as some of them were. Uh, Brandon fought, by the way. He's really making guys miss, swing and miss with the sweeper. I, I guess it's a slider, but everybody calls everything a sweeper that moves horizontally it's the now. New, it's the new age pitch, right. basically. <laughs> and I think that it's finally starting to pay dividends. He moved away from the fastball a little bit in his most recent outing. Uh, you saw some three-pitch sequences that were zero fastballs involved, and I think that could be good for him. There was another thing, too, and uh, pitching coach Brent Strom had brought this up after the start that Brandon had against Cincinnati, where he pointed out that he had fought set up on the first base side of the rubber as opposed to directly in the middle, or some pitchers like to go in on the far right side. He had fought set up on the left side, and maybe that actually served as an advantage to him Strom also threw a dig at Bastin Bumgarner on that way out. But at the same time, the fact that Fott was willing to accept this one minor change and look at what it's done for his success against Cincinnati in what is a very hitter-friendly park, San Francisco, who is a team that is 10 games above 500 and is rolling right now, although their offense is slipping, but you took advantage of a pitcher's park and made the most of it. And then the start that he had at home, I'm blanking who he pitched against, but he's had three really good starts in his last three outings. Yeah, I, I really think that this just primarily falls on the offense. Lourdes Gurriel had a really bad summer. Uh, he was one of the best hitters in baseball in the month of May, and then June and July just fell apart. Uh, his average went from, I remember it being in the 280s, 290s, and now it's down to 253. What made it worse is nobody picked up when Gurriel slipped off. And now Gurriel has kind of come back around a bit. He had a home run last night, and then no one is around to help him out either. Well, for the longest time, there was no other right-handed hitting outfielder. Kyle Lewis missed the first couple of months of the season with a bizarre virus, uh, is what we were led and to believe. And now he's not even making the big league roster. So you go out and make the trade for Tommy Pham, which is great. Tommy Pham's have a pretty good year for the Mets. And, and he's now had, like, on the one hit since joining the team. Uh, yeah, and I don't put too much on him. It's a, it's a change of scenery. you got to give some guys some time. But, but you acquired him for this exact purpose. That's the thing. And if he's not hitting early, then you start to get concerned, especially when it's compounded by the lacking offensive production that this team has. Yeah, and you and I had talked about the potential for making that move, lighting a fire under Lourdes Gurriel. And by the way, I don't want to put all of this on Lourdes. He's just the one that had the precipitous drop from month to month. It was it was a rainfall. It was a rainstorm drop. It wasn't right. just basic precipitation. He's not the only one. There's plenty of other guys that are struggling. Alec Thomas is only hitting two thirty seven on the year. Jake McCarthy's two fifty is not bad, I guess. But a lot of guys' averages have dropped. Corbin Carroll went from the two nineties to two seventy six. Uh, Gabby Moreno was in the two eighties. He's down to two seventy. Christian Walker's in the two sixties, which I actually think is pretty good for him. Um, there's been a fall off in some significant players. Geraldo Perdomo. Still hitting 272, which is a lot better than last year, by the way. So I want to give him credit where credit is due. But he has fallen back, kind of regressed to the mean that we expected him to be. Um, I think that this team overperformed in April and May, specifically May. And we got to June, and things started to kind of fall back into the way that maybe this team is going to be from here on out. And I like that they made additions at the deadline. Don't get me wrong. I'm glad they did it. And I'm glad they did it in a way that didn't sacrifice too much of their future. Um, but this team right now just doesn't look like a playoff team. You me. say un- overperformed. I think it's, I think it's more so that they had a better understanding of the new rules of baseball than most of the other teams did. Because think about the teams that are succeeding right now in the new world of baseball: the Baltimore Orioles, Texas Rangers, the Cincinnati Reds. Those three teams have a lot in common in terms of how young 
their rosters are. Now, granted, the Rangers feel like an exception because they spent a lot of money in the past two off seasons getting Corey Seager, Marcus Semien, John Gray, uh, Jacob DeGrom, and now they've acquired Max Scherzer, Jordan Montgomery. It's like, yes, they're spending a lot of they're money. They're kind of all in, yeah. But they're young guys who have spent some time in AAA learning these new rules where it's been kind of a testing ground. You could apply the same thing for the Diamondbacks, where Jake McCarthy and Corbin Carroll and Alec Thomas and all those guys have been understanding these new rules already because they've basically been learning them at a lower level and now applying it to the big league level. Why the Orioles have been able to maintain, why the Rangers, why the Reds have been able to maintain the success and the Diamondbacks haven't, that's what I'm confused about. Why has the Diamondbacks not been able to maintain that level of same success? Are they just gassed? Are they figured out? Are they are they a trend? And they just their trend did not last as long as they thought it would last. Yeah, maybe that's it's as simple as that. I think that they're going through some growing pains that they just didn't have early. I think when you have a team as young as theirs, you expect a lot of those growing pains in April, in in spring training even in in March and you know all that. And they just didn't really have that. Corbin Carroll hit the ground running. He was fantastic. MVP candidate. Still is, by the way. Yeah. Uh, Jake McCarthy has been very impressive since being called up initially. Alec Thomas, even though he went down as well at times, uh, they've had a lot of early, early successes. And for that reason, I think maybe they're just starting to go through going pains now that they didn't experience earlier. I'm looking at the lineup today, and I feel confident, but I don't know how confident I should feel given how poor this offense has been. Geraldo Perdomo. Catel Marte, Corbin Carroll, Christian Walker, Tommy Pham, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. moves down one spot from his normal five spot. Jace Peterson, Alec Thomas, Jose Herrera. That feels like the offensive kind of lineup that is meant to turn this team around, but they're in Minnesota. Minnesota is not the most hitter-friendly park, and that's a bad sign for an offense that has been unable to produce the runs at the level that we're used to them doing. Yeah, facing Kenta Maeda today, I believe, as well. So Um, left-handed heavy. Yeah, no, and that makes sense to me, but uh, I don't know, man. You look at the schedule the rest of the way. I'm not trying to be all doom and gloom here. I'm just trying to be realistic. You've got two more against Minnesota, while I would think Minnesota's usually an easier team. That's a first-place team right now in the AL Central. Give them the credit they deserve. Yep. You get two against L.A., the Dodgers, I mean. You get three against San Diego. There's not a lot of gimmies from here until the end of the season. And for that reason, the Diamondbacks have one of the toughest schedules in baseball. And by the way, the interleague series uh, series that they get, two against Texas. They've been fantastic, as you mentioned. Baltimore, they get three. The New York Yankees are no pushovers. And then to end the season, the Houston Astros. <laughs> There's reason to be worried about the Diamondbacks' playoff chances at this point. Uh, very worried. I mean, we're it's August 5th, and we are comfortable ruling out the NL West as a possibility for this team, yes or no? I don't feel good. Given that it. it's taking you that long to answer, I think yeah. that's all I need to know. I think you're probably on to something there. They're a game and a half out of the final wild card spot. Do we feel confident that they can get that back? I feel confident that they can be a team that's in that mix. But what I say you that read the schedule, and I don't know if uh, I'm as, as confident. Uh, yeah, no, I'm with you. I'm hoping, I'm hopeful they're going to be in that mix. I, positive that we can take away is they didn't nearly expend as much as they did. You can probably hear it going on in the background. Jonathan Gannon talking to the fans as they're getting ready to start this practice here in just a couple of minutes. And to get us ready for this practice, we got to bring on the Cardinals Corner Podcast. Eric Ruby, Tyler Drake, joining us next here on Arizona Sports Saturday. Cardinals. 
Seahawks camp. Dawn of a new era. Cardinals training camp coverage presented by Bud Light. This is the dawn of a new era. Mitch and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday on the Arizona Sports app and 98.7. Mitch Veraldis, Steve Zinsmeister. We're joined now by the two gentlemen who run the Cardinals Corner podcast for us here at Arizona Sports. Tyler Drake. Eric Ruby, both of the guys joining us here as we are live from State Farm Stadium. Red and white practice just now getting underway, guys. Are you both ready for this football season, Ty? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's been fun. I'm glad you guys could uh, finally come to my second home pretty much. This is <laughs> Another where I, day at the office. This is where I live for, you know, the next few months. So glad you guys could show up. I warmed it up for you. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah. I saw your bed down the hall. Yeah. It was pretty lived in. I don't think you've left this place since no, last season. No, no. Sleep- I rolled up the sleeping bag. The pillow's underneath uh, my desk over there. So, yeah, we're good. Is your name written on it in Sharpie just so no one takes it? Yep. Just in case. Yep, I had to show a couple people, hey, this is where I where I do my thing, man. All right. <laughs> I, I do have to read this because we had Kyle Soleil on earlier, and I'd feel bad if I don't read it. But I want to remind all of you out there that Arizona Cardinals season tickets are now on sale. 2023 home schedule includes visits by the Giants, Cowboys, Bengals, Ravens, and Falcons, as well as the NFC West foes. For information on Cardinals tickets, you can call 602-379-0102 or visit azcardinals.com slash tickets. Of course, uh, Eric, there's a lot of faces that we're familiar with that we're going to see today, but a lot of new faces on the field that, as well. Any of those new guys in particular that stand out to you you're looking forward to seeing today? I got two names right off the top of my head. Okay. <laughs> Mr. Confidence Clayton Toon yep. and Paris Johnson Jr. Oh. Now, Obviously, Paris Johnson Jr., a lot of eyes are going to be on him. But from the videos that I've seen, and Tyler, you can back this up from just being at yeah. all of these practices, he looks really good. He looks really strong. And whenever he does make a mistake, he then goes and he fixes it yeah. as a rookie. So that, to me, I'm excited to see what he looks like in some live action, some live reps. And if he is continuing to start and be with the first team instead of Kelvin Beecham. And then, of course, Clayton, too. And I just want to see him sling it. Yeah, yeah, and you know, going with that Paris Johnson example, we saw that a couple days ago. He was in a uh, battle with Dennis Gardeck. He got beat that first time, was really frustrated. You could tell he was visibly frustrated with himself, came back the next time, and, you know, did what he was supposed to do. So you can definitely tell, you know, he's really making the most of the reps, and he is still, you know, on that trajectory of he's been here. It seems like he's been here. Doesn't seem like a rookie in my eyes, so he's really coming along well. Are we under the impression that this means Paris Johnson's going to be the starting right tackle when week one rolls yeah. around? He hasn't moved. He has not moved. They, you know, really? There's been conversations about moving guys around. We've seen John Gaines with the second team move from center to right guard. Uh, Pat Eflin's moved in with center with the backup twos, but... When we're just looking at Paris, he's still at right tackle, and I don't think he's moving, man. I think they like what they see out of him right now, and yeah, it's just something we're going to have to watch. You know, Dennis Daly's been getting a little more run with the ones now, and you got Elijah Wilkinson, who's been with the ones at left guard a lot, so it's going to be definitely something to watch what they do with that guard spot, but I think Paris is cemented at right tackle. And I'm really interested to see how Kelvin Beecham, not how he reacts to all of this, because he's like the ultimate pro's pro, yes. but... To be able to have somebody like that who was so consistent and so reliable for so many years be behind your first-round pick and that, okay, Paris, if you're not feeling it this game, if for some reason it's not working or we need to move you around or we need to take you out and have you look at something, Oh, we'll just have Kelvin Beecham going. Yeah. And that's a pretty good deal to have. It's a solid backup plan. You know, it's funny. I think about the O-line and going in, I was definitely more focused on center, Ty. But this whole movement and locking in, as you're describing it, of Paris Johnson at the right tackle, 
I, am I supposed to worry? Am I supposed to just kind of go with the flow on this one and trust the new regime? Like, what? How are you handling the news of Paris Johnson drafted as a left side guy and he's cemented at the right side? I mean, I think where it comes down to is his, his versatility, and that's been what they've preached time and time again since he's been drafted. Just the ability to move around the line, and I think in a perfect world we could all say that hey, if he could fit that left guard spot kick out Kelvin and keep him at right tackle, that would be awesome. But I think they see him playing his best on the outside, and they're moving on from there. I think the big question now is going to be, where does the left guard get figured out? Is it is it Elijah Wilkinson, or is Dennis Daly really making a play to come in and start taking those reps? So that's the bigger concern. I think right now this team wants to play guys where they see the best fit, and right now Paris Johnson is just stuck on that right side. You know, I'm willing to bet that a lot of people are showing up to the stadium today for the red-white scrimmage, and they're going to see some familiar names in different places. Yes. Isaiah Simmons all of a sudden is playing center field, it, it appears, as a bar- part of the defensive <laughs> back group. Zaven Collins is now a pass rusher. Uh, there's just a lot of familiar faces in different places. I'm so excited for Zaven. I can't lie. I saw so many flashes last year, just his athleticism, his size. I mean, Jonathan Gannon even said it the other day, he could play all positions except for out of eleven. Nickel corner is wow. basically the only yeah. thing that he said he couldn't Specified play. Nickel and corner. of course, you know you're gonna you're gonna pump up your guy for sure. But you've seen just the athleticism, the side to side speed, and now him learning his position and being able to use that size and that speed to go off the edge and rush. I mean, I'm not saying he's going to be immediately the best edge rusher in the league, but he has so many tools. And when you hear him speak, he's so smart. I think he's going to have it figured out. Simmons, on the other hand, I have been. On a roller coaster of emotions when it comes to his position. But if they're going to stick him somewhere, that is the most important thing. Just keep him somewhere so he can learn and don't spread him too thin. Yeah. We're joined here on Arizona Sports Saturday by the Cardinals Corner Podcast crew. And don't go far after Steve and I are done because Eric and Tyler are going to be here for the first full hour of practice. They're actually just getting underway right now yep. behind us here. But Eric and Ty are going to have you covered for one to two today mm-hmm. doing yep, a Cardinals yep, Corner yep. Podcast reaction live here from the stadium. So don't go anywhere. You mentioned Clayton Toon, Eric. And I think I'm at a point where I'm comfortable wondering and even saying that maybe he should be the guy that's throwing the football week one of the preseason. And then, maybe, even in the regular season. (laughs) It looks like it's becoming more and more possible every single day. Obviously, Colt's still out there, but he's only throwing a certain amount of times that he's out there. He's not out there. I mean, he's a veteran, so maybe that's Mm -hmm. just why. But it really feels like they're priming tune. And to be honest, a lot of these rookies, that's what we talk about with Paris Johnson Jr. Like They're putting them in positions right now to learn so that if you do need them, if you do need to rely on them week one, you're not like, oh, man, they're a rookie. You think, okay, they can do this because we trusted them to do this. We didn't have them sitting on the sideline right. watching other people do yep. it. Ty, yesterday it was reported uh, Marlon Mack getting added to the rushing attack. Yeah. See what I did there? Uh, <laughs> no, I, I don't see it. What did you do? Return of the rushing yeah. attack, I think. This is what right? you get on Arizona Sports Saturday. Sorry, boys. All uh, here for it, man. Um, walk me through what that addition could mean for the running back room and for the rushing attack in general because I think a lot of people know James Conner's name. It's not the deepest room that we've ever seen the Cardinals no. Have, all, yeah. Could we see Marlon Mack making a big impact? I think we could. I think right now it's really James Conner and insert name Keontae Ingram or Corey Clement. And I think right now is the is where they're trying to really nail down who that number two running back is. Because let's be honest, they want to run the ball more. They're going to need another body that they can trust behind James Conner. James Conner is going to get all these carries. Don't, don't get me wrong there. He's going to run the rock a lot this year. But you got to spell him at times. So 
Mac comes with a lot of familiarity with Gannon just because of their time in Indy together. So he's just, we've seen him on the field. He can, he's a trusted veteran. Obviously, we got to see where he's at at this point in his career, but he did it with the, the Colts a little bit there. So it'll be something to watch. You know, Keontae Ingram hasn't really practiced this much this week. Uh, I asked Jonathan Gannon actually today before I came up here what the deal was, and he's not giving a ton. He said he's dealing with the Nick. So probably won't see him out there much today and we'll see what this running back room looks like because i think right now it's cory clement is the next guy up before marlon mack comes in and really we can really see what we're going to get out of him i hear a ton about michael wilson this oh, is yeah. a guy who's a rookie <laughs> this guy's favorite <laughs> yeah did i did i strike a chord here Aaron? the moment we did we were doing the show when he got drafted i couldn't yeah yeah, yeah yeah that's right we and were i was i was getting called crazy by you because i said you know when you squint when you watch him run routes he's got just a little <laughs> bit a tad a drop a splash of deandre hopkins in him i don't remember the splash part I, he looks just like deandre hopkins. no, no I, I, me, I'm not, I don't have I'm hyperbole like that i'm calm and bring up uh, bring him up as one of your, you guys are watching today i mean i'm watching everybody <laughs> but uh, I've been watching him since the moment he got drafted. It's just the way that he moves. Yeah. It's just the way that he moves. He just looks like somebody who's been doing this for longer than he has. And, I mean, he's dealt with injuries throughout college, but when he was on the field and he was making plays, you just look at him and you go, that guy can play NFL football. Now, he's going to be starting week one. He's going to be getting a bunch of catches. He's going to have 70 yards a game. Like, I don't know. He's a Good. rookie. He could, and that's the thing. He's a third-round rookie that we're looking at as somebody who could come in and be an immediate contributor and he's also like their tallest non-tight end target, which is pretty important for this wide receiver core. Well, yeah. guess what? That comp that you were giving him on draft day, he's not around here What? Anymore. I know. Shocker, right? Where'd he go? But maybe Michael Wilson, to your point and to your level of excitement, I can tell, is going to suffice in that role of being the tall wide receiver on the outside. Because guess what? The rest of the wide receiver room, there is no tall. Hey, hey, Zach Pascal. Okay, okay. I'll get like some six foot. I'll get Pascal. He's like 6'2". Like six There's okay. a lot of dudes out there. Rondale Moore, Greg a lot Dorch. Of dudes. A lot I'd of... like to see what those guys can do. Grab some separation. They were very good at it last year. So, hey guys, thanks so much for uh, jumping on with us. Enjoy no the next problem. hour. You guys, we uh, here doing the basically the podcast live on the air. Yep, yep. During Cardinals red white scrimmage. So, uh, Ty and Eric, thanks so much. Uh, they're sticking around as well. That's going to do it for us here on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch and I had a great time here at the red white scrimmage, which is going on right now, open to the public. For my co-host Mitch Vareldis. I'm Steve Zinsmeister for Trevor Henry behind the glass back in the studio. We want to thank you so much for checking out the show on this Saturday. It's Arizona Sports Saturday on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader.